Hello everyone, my name is Trevor Cully. Normally I host the History of Persia podcast, but James is busy and we didn't want the oldest stories to lie fallow for too long. I've been trying to think of a way to talk about Bronze Age Iran for a while, and I think keeping the oldest stories posting new episodes is a great way to do that. By about 2202 BC, Elam had asserted its independence from the Akkadian Empire, and one of the later kings of the city of Awan actually attacked the city of Ashkak in Mesopotamia. He and his mountain-dwelling allies were repelled by the Akkadians, but it was a sign of things to come. Within about 50 years, the Akkadian Empire had completely collapsed after being invaded by the Gutians, a mountain people from somewhere north of Elam. The following 40 years of Gutian rule is generally remembered as a dark age for Mesopotamia, but it was actually the opposite in Elam. Once he was rid of his domineering Akkadian overlords, a new king of Awan proudly asserted Elamite culture and independence. This was the last king of the Awan dynasty according to the Elamite king list, Huzur and Shushanak, whose name means calling the god in Shushanak. And I can't believe I am going to have to say this name all episode. And Shushanak, or sometimes just Shushanak, was the patron god of Susa, which was really pronounced more like Shush, much like Asher was the patron of his city in Assyria. It is very difficult to work out the exact timeline for Puzur and Shushanak's early reign, and harder still to line it up properly with events this show has already covered in Mesopotamia. Until the 1990s, most scholars writing about Elam thought Puzur and Shushanak must have been a contemporary of Naram-Sin, but we now have proof that he was still around when Ur-Nama founded the third dynasty of Ur, about 100 years after Naram-Sin's death. What 100 years is a bit much, but an official reign of 80 or 90 years isn't entirely impossible if he started as a child and lived for a very long time. It's also just very unlikely. It's much more likely that he just became king after Elam was already independent again. How he became king, and what exactly he was king of, is also difficult to figure out. In his official titles, Puzor and Shushanak claim to be the mighty king of the city of Awan, but also the governor, or Ensi, of Susa, and the military governor of Elam. Both of those were positions traditionally appointed by the Akkadian kings, which is what led some authors to do all sorts of mental gymnastics to find a way for Puzur and Shushanak to have been appointed by one of those last couple kings. But the timeline just doesn't work out, Elam was already fighting against Shar Kalashari before he took power. The more likely explanation is that the Akkadian word for governor, Ensi, just became the title used by the ruler of any important city. We see the same thing happen in Mesopotamia, where largely independent rulers of cities like Ur and Lagash also called themselves Ensi during the Gutian period. 
military governor is harder to explain, but was probably just a prestigious title that tied local legitimacy back to the authority of the Akkadians in a traditional way. That happens pretty frequently in later history, too, like the title King of Sumer and Akkad remaining in use long after either location was important, or the heir to the throne of England being the Prince of Wales. The title Mighty King of Awan might actually be something Puzer and Shushinak earned after taking power in Susa. His father, somebody called Simpi Ishuk, does not appear on the Elamite king list. Instead, the king immediately before Puzer and Shushinak is called Kita. There's all sorts of speculation about how Puzer and Shushinak connects with his predecessor in Awan. He could be a governor of Susa who conquered the other powerful city. He could be Kita's relative who inherited the throne in lieu of an actual son. Either a grandson, a son-in-law, a nephew, or a cousin. We just don't know. Nothing about the Elamite king list says he has to be part of this existing dynasty, since it's just a list of names associated with a city. His name and archaeological record do suggest that he started in Susa. Puzur and Shushinak invokes the patron god of that city, and he installed many inscriptions and buildings in the local citadel, more so than any other identifiable city in Elam, though admittedly, Elamite archaeology is lacking. Regardless of how exactly he related to Awan or Susa, Puzur and Shushinak's greatest achievements were outside both of those cities. These accomplishments probably deserve more historic recognition than this relatively obscure Elamite king usually gets. If the historical record on the eastern side of the Zagros was equal to the records of Mesopotamia, then Puzur and Shushinak would probably be remembered as one of the great conquerors of the early Bronze Age. Texts written in Akkadian, both by Puzur and Shushinak's scribes and their colleagues in Mesopotamia, document an expansive empire. One example from a broken statue in Susa reads, The governor of Susa, military governor of the land of Elam, son of Simpi Ishuk, captured the enemies of Kismash and Hurtum, destroyed Hapsana, and crushed under his feet in one day 81 towns and regions. When the king of Shemashki came to him, that king grabbed Puzor and Shushinak's feet. The god in Shushinak heard his prayers. All of those unfamiliar names refer to cities and countries within Elam that haven't been firmly identified. Shemashki, in particular, was a rising power in northern Elam that was forced to pay homage to Puzor and Shushinak. Crushing 81 towns in a single day would have been a coalition of enemies standing up against him, and the text goes on to list all 81 cities, most of which haven't been identified, but a few, most notably Anshan, seem to show that Puzur and Shushinak was recording his conquest of southwestern Elam. Nothing on that list corresponds with any known location in Mesopotamia. 
also missing from both his titles and the list is the title Mighty King of Awan, which might imply that Awan still hadn't fallen under his control when Puzur and Shushanak started building his empire. A giant Elamite kingdom is impressive, but not exactly groundbreaking. Different kings in Sumer had been unifying most of the Sumerians on and off for centuries. Surprisingly, the records of the last Awanite king's most notable conquests actually come from his enemies. Toward the end of Puzor and Shushanak's reign, the Sumerian city of Ur found itself with a new king from a new dynasty, Ur-Nama, who clashed with the Elamites on several occasions. Ur-Nama listed their territory in two separate texts, and each actually enumerates new cities ruled by the king of Awan. An inscription from Isin lists the cities of Awal, Kismar, Mashkan Sharim, and the territories of Eshnuna, Tatub, Zimudar, and most shockingly, Akkad. These were all in northern and eastern Mesopotamia, either just across the border from Susiana or way up north by the Assyrians, areas where the Gutians just didn't have much presence, or Puzur and Shushanak would have been securing his own borders. The famous law code of Ur-Nama, the oldest surviving law code in history, has an even more expansive list of cities not mentioned in the last two. The section of the preamble reads, In that time, Ashkak, Marada, Kazalu, their settlements, and Usaram, etc., had been enslaved by Anshan. But through the strength of Nana, my lord, I established their freedom. Around the same time, Anshan was an increasingly powerful city in southern Elam, and was gradually becoming almost synonymous with the whole region. All of the cities on this list are much further into Sumer. Kazalu was all the way west on the Euphrates, and Marada was almost all the way to Babylon. From the location and language used to describe the situation, these cities may have been forced to pay some kind of tribute, but were not directly ruled from Susa. Unfortunately, it's hard to say too much about Puzur and Shushanak's empire, which spanned from the edges of the Dashtelut Desert, north to the central Zagros Mountains, and all the way west to the southern Euphrates. Even with the influence of Akkadian cuneiform, the Elamites just don't seem to have written as much or kept written records in as many places. Almost all of the surviving tablets and inscriptions from this time come from Susa itself, with only a few lone examples appearing in other major cities. Part of this may have been due to Puzor and Shushanak's concerted effort to shed some Akkadian influences. While many records were still being kept in Akkadian because the scribes were already trained to use cuneiform, almost two dozen royal inscriptions from across Elam, but mostly Susa, have been found in a script completely unique to the reign of Puzor and Shushanak. This writing is called Linear Elamite. Only a few of the most basic symbols are shared with Proto-Elamite, and none of it seems to be Akkadian. Until 2020, 
AD, this script remained undeciphered. But last year, a French archaeologist named Francois Desset announced that he had deciphered it and that it definitely did record the Elamite language. The paper explaining that still hasn't been published, but he has done a few presentations and demonstrations to prove his methods. So maybe we'll have more information about Puzor and Shushanak soon. Despite his apparent efforts to start using a native script for his native language, Puzor and Shushanak was ultimately unsuccessful. Apparently all linear Elamite writing was composed during his reign, and Akkadian and Elamite cuneiform remained the standard long after. Despite his efforts to support the Elamite language, Puzor and Shushanak clearly wasn't entirely opposed to Akkadian influence. After 200 years of Akkadian rule, some things were just part of Elamite culture. Most people wouldn't even have realized that some of it was originally Akkadian. The official titles of Puzor and Shushanak, including Ruler of the Four Corners of the World, were mostly Akkadian. Most of the art and pottery styles of the time were Akkadian. Obviously, most writing was still Akkadian, and most notably, the Mesopotamian gods were part of the religious landscape now. Many of Puzor and Shushanak's inscriptions come from religious installations at temples in Susa, mostly the temple for his namesake in Shushanak, but he also patronized and supported other gods. In one inscription, he wrote, Whoever seeks to remove these votive objects should have his roots torn out and his seeds removed by Enshushanak, Shamash, Enlil, Enki, Ishtar, Sin, Ninhursag, Narunte, and the totality of the gods. From that whole list, only Enshushanak and Narunte were native Elamite deities. The rest were all imported. There are a couple of other religious inscriptions referring to individual Elamite gods, but it was Mesopotamian deities that were invoked when he was calling on as many gods as he could think of. They were clearly quite important, even in Elamite territory. Of course, all good things must come to an end, and Elamite history is just one long cycle of either conquering or being conquered by Mesopotamians. Puzor and Shushanak became one of the few great conquerors in history to find himself up against an empire builder of similar skills around 2112 BC, when Ur-Nama began expanding his territory from the city of Ur, and Puzor and Shushanak's territory in Mesopotamia would have been some of his first stops. The exact sequence of events is unclear, as always, but there appear to have been three or four stages. The southernmost cities paying tribute to Elam would just have been pulled into Ur's orbit and away from Puzor and Shushanak first, or given freedom, as ur said in his own law code. Then, one of two campaigns would have happened. Either Ur-Nama would have conquered northern Mesopotamia, including the city of Akkad, and pushed the Elamites out of Mesopotamia entirely, or Elam itself was invaded in the south. Ur-Nama's ally, 
and later vassal, Gudea of Lagash, also claimed to have invaded and defeated Elam and Anshan around the same time, but that may just indicate that Gudea joined Ernama when he pushed north through Mesopotamia, crossed the Zagros, and conquered Susa. No matter the exact order of things up to this point, Ernama's conquest of Susa was the end of the story for Puzor and Shushanak and the city of Abwan. Ernama conquered Susa and the plains of Susiana once again fell under direct Mesopotamian rule. He also made the city of Anshan a tribute-paying vassal in the southeast, while the city of Awan all but disappears from history. With that, Puzor and Shushanak became the last king of Awan according to the Elamite king list, which transitions to a new dynasty, the kings of Shemashki. Shemashki was that northern city in the mountains, maybe somewhere in Isfahan, conquered by Puzor and Shushanak earlier in his reign. The city takes over the Elamite king list after Awan. The problem with that list, and the historical record for Elam's relationship, and Elam's relationship with Third Dynasty Ur in general, is that it is a dizzyingly complex sequence of names, relationships, and titles that almost inevitably overlap and conflict. The first Shemashkian king on the list shares his name with the man identified as King of Shemashki by Shu Sin of Ur in the 2030s, but the list inserts five names mentioned elsewhere in Sumerian records between him and the King of Shemashki who we know ruled a decade later. Ultimately, though, each new piece of the story is kind of the same a product of the standard Ur-3 imperial policy. Ur-Nama may have won an empire through conquest, but the third dynasty of Ur's overall policy was focused on profiting from an expansive trade network, linking them as far as Egypt and India. To enable this, the Ur-3 kings after Ur-Nama focused their policy on protecting those interests. Beginning with Ur-Nama's successor, King Shulgi, Sumerian settlers moved into the outer provinces of the empire, including Susiana, but Ur never exerted that kind of direct influence in the rest of Elam. Instead, individual cities like Shemashki, Anshan, and Awan were all listed as vassals who were supposed to support Ur or face the consequences. One Shemashkian king was called Hullabar, and was also recognized as the ruler of a town called Dadani, for most of the Ur-3 period. He regularly sent troops to aid the kings of Ur in their campaigns in Elam and the west. He also married the daughter of King Amar-Sin. Hullabar actually serves as a great example of the Shemashki dynasty, and the other independent rulers of the Elamite cities around that time. Overall, he served as a consistent, reliable vassal for the kings of Ur, and either as a reward or to firmly win his loyalty, he was allowed to marry a princess. The combination of Elamite kings list and Sumerian records from this time paint very complicated pictures. Sumerian documents record kings of Shamashki with names that are entirely absent from the king list. 
Some or all of the first six kings of Shamashki on the list actually seem to have been contemporary with one another, explaining how there can be six kings between the first name and the one who ruled a decade later in a time of relative stability. Most of them are listed as kings of Shamashki on the list and appear in records as the rulers of other cities and regions all across Elam. For some, this was simultaneous with ruling Shamashki, and others were probably local princes subservient to the king in Shamashki. Hullabar was identified as the ruler of Shamashki and Dadani, but others in his dynasty appear as the rulers of Anshan, Zabshali, and even Susa. Clearly, Shamashki was able to exert its own influence over major cities in Elam, but when they were on good terms with Ur, the king of Shamashki could even double as a Sumerian governor. Other times, the relationship was rockier. Almost all of the Ur three kings campaigned in Elam at some point, either on their way to Marhashi, or because cities like Shamashki and Anshan stopped cooperating and had to be brought back into the fold by force. This all changed when Ibi-Sin became the king of Ur around 2028 BC. The kingdom was already waning. The Amorites had started invading on the western front, vassals stopped paying, and Mesopotamian subjects had started agitating. Then Ibi-Sin went and began an on-and-off war with Elam. In year 9, he campaigned against Hunur, a city described as the Bolt of Anshan, maybe something that prevented access to the Anshanite highlands. In year 14, he invaded the Khuzestan Plain and defeated Susa, Adamdun, and Awan. In either year 16 or 22, he delegated responsibility to Ishbi-era, the governor of Isin, and future conqueror himself. Ishbi-era was tasked with putting down another revolt in Susa. At some time, a new king called Kindatu took power in Shamashki and became the king of Elam. All of this culminated with Kindatu gathering a confederation from Elam and this story from the later Sumerian hymn called The Lament for Sumer and Ur. An, Enlil, Enki, and Ninhursaja have decided its fate to overturn the divine powers of Sumer, to lock up the favorable reign in its home, to destroy the city, to destroy the house, to destroy the cattle pen, to level the sheepfold, that Shamashki and Elam the enemy should dwell in their place, that its shepherd in his own place should be captured by the enemy, that Ibi-Sin should be taken to the land of Elam in fetters, that from Mount Zabu on the edge of the sea to the borders of Anshan, like a swallow that has flown from its house, he should never return to his city. This describes how King Kindatu and Elam conquered much of Mesopotamia and captured the last of the Ur three kings. Ibi-Sin was taken to Anshan and imprisoned, while another Elamite dynasty took power in Mesopotamia. This period of imperialism was even shorter than the reign of Puzor and Shushanak. 
Ishbiera kicked the Elamites out once again and established Isin as the hegemon of Mesopotamia for a brief moment before everything started collapsing into competing city-states during the early Amorite period. And that is where we will leave the story for today. In Alam, the kings of Shamashki remained in control for decades, from the fall of Ur in 2004 BC to the rise of the Amorite king Gungunum in Larsa, the historical record mostly goes quiet. The Elamite kings after Kindatu took a variety of titles, claiming to be the kings of all prominent cities, namely Shimashki, Anshan, and Susa, while mostly carrying out the same relationships with Mesopotamia that their predecessors had. A few short inscriptions indicate that some of these later Shemashki kings married the daughters of kings from various Sumerian and early Amorite states. The only truly visible developments in this time were a gradual expansion of Elamite cuneiform, building projects in Susa, and the increasing prominence of Anshan over all other cities. Hopefully, this isn't too much of a break with tradition. Once again, if you want more from me or to skip ahead in Iranian history, you can find the History of Persia podcast on historyofpersiapodcast.com or wherever you're listening to the oldest stories right now. Thank you for listening.